Yo, 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 what is up, everybody? This is the Visitors Might Be Listening, the podcast, with everyone's favorite host, the man who puts the tan in orangutan, Louis Ryan, here again. And I'm joined by my two fabulous co-hosts, the man who puts the illa in gorilla, Mr. Mike Levito. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I just realized, I think I thought for a very long time it was orangutan, and... <laughs> Uh, I think I just realized, too, that it was actually a chimpanzee and not an orangutan in those Tang commercials from, like, the late 90s, like I thought. So, a lot of revelations early on in the podcast for me. Yeah. I'm surprised. I feel like that's a reasonable pronunciation. Like, I mean, it's like, it's not like, I'm casual, but, like, the idea that that's not an orangutan, that is a missed, that's a missed play for me. I don't know. If we started adding G's to orangutan... What do these animals think they are, Sufjan Stevens? I mean, it's crazy. And lastly, we have my other great co-host, the man who puts the pansy in chimpanzee, <laughs> Mr. Chris Chauvin. Chris, how are you? Better watch out. I was, uh, they'll be screaming, a man murdered man. <laughs> That's the kind of long joke lead-ups you can expect here on the Visitor's Podcast. Today, we are wrapping up uh, our coverage of the original Planet of the Apes series from the late 60s and 70s. We're talking about Battle for the Planet of the Apes today. A battle so great, it makes Antietam look like Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings? I don't know. It's a it's a big, epic battle. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it later. But first, I have, as usual, our icebreaker question. And I'm I'm running on fumes here, guys, in terms of coming up with icebreaker questions. It'll be easier when we get into the next episodes, but right now I'm, I'm running out of ideas. So based on the fact that we've got Paul Williams, master musician, playing uh, an orangutan character in this movie, I, I decided to open up the floor and ask, what are your guys' favorite sort of uh, fictional appearances where a musician, someone who's primarily known as a musician instead of being like an actor, appears in a movie or tv show and um if you know doing something funny or whatnot i don't i don't know if you guys came up with any anything worth listening to but uh mike mike i'll start with you uh you you've got to have something mike i i, I came up with this day primarily so you could hit a home run this week instead of uh your usual uh a bunce Ooh. I, well yeah I, I have gone for obvious choices i think for a lot of these icebreakers this one i don't know that it's it's not an obvious choice I think in general, but it's an obvious choice if you know me. And uh, it's actually Jack White's cameo in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, where he has like a like a three-minute scene where he plays Elvis. You know, Dewey runs into him as he's walking off stage. And I think like only maybe like five words that Jack White says in the entire thing is actually like comprehensible. <laughs> and he just goes... Yeah, he, he kind of like throws some karate chops at, at Dewey and goes... <laughs> Only two people know karate, the Chinese and the king. And then he mumbles some more and walks off screen. And uh, I think it's hilarious. It's very funny. Okay, okay. Getting ham into it. That, that's another reason to, to watch Walk Hard. I think I need to sit down and watch it. Uh, that, the kid, what's the one where they make fun of like the modern pop genre? Pop Star, Never Stop, oh, Never yeah. Stopping. That's a great movie. Pop Star's great. I, I've seen Walk Hard. I do not remember that scene, though, where Jack White plays Elvis. Um, very funny movie though. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris, what do you got for us? I think I have a pretty good one, which is mostly based on a bit from a very funny British comedian, which is that, uh, do you, do you both know the red wedding? 
Yes, Game of Thrones. In that scene, the band that is at the top, the uh, drummer from Coldplay plays the drummer. Um, and that the drummer from Coldplay has to tell everyone that he was in that because no one knows the drummer from Coldplay. So he just has the best job ever of playing in Coldplay, getting Coldplay money, and then just living a normal human life until he wants to like be like, hey, I'm the drummer for Coldplay. And people go, oh, shit, that's impressive. I, I remember when Viva La Vida first came out, and I think it was like a like an iPod commercial or iPhone commercial mm-hmm. that yeah. they paired with it. And it yeah. was like, you know, the band doing their thing in silhouette. And he just yeah. had like one big sort of like, it looked like a toy drum almost that he just kept hitting <laughs> repeatedly because there's like no drums in that song. Um, I always felt kind of bad, felt felt kind of bad for him for that reason. He, look, it, no matter, anytime you could feel a little bad for him, that motherfucker's making Coldplay money. Like he's he's drowning it. In terms of Game of Thrones actors who are actually popular musicians, who do you think is more popular, the drummer from Coldplay or Ed Sheeran? It's a hard one. It's a hard one. I, I think you have to bring in England in which that they are playing an Ed Sheeran tune at any given moment. It's like the uh, the fire, like the FDR fire. Like, you know, we never let that go out. They never, at any point during the, within the United Kingdom, that one radio must be playing an Ed Sheeran song. It's, it's in law. I think it's the JFK Eternal. No, 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 Mike. He's talking about FDR's body is just constantly on fire, and we just refuse to put it out. I'm sorry. I'm mixing mixing my assassinated president. I was going to say, Ed Sheeran gets more airplay and sells more tickets, but I think that the drummer from Coldplay is probably, like, more liked, right? Generally. Like, people, there are people who hate Ed Sheeran. I don't think anybody hates the drummer from Coldplay. That's a good point. Just out of pure apathy, people are like, oh, cool. That's, like, nice for him. That's fair. That's fair. Mike, Google right now for looking for I hate the drummer from Coldplay buttons and t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's figure this out. His name is I'll, I'll, I'll dig up some dirt. No! I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> no, we should never know. Two, two funny examples, guys. Uh, one, one that I always sticks in my mind for no particular reason. I don't even think it's like that hugely funny, but um, uh, when Alice Cooper appears in Wayne's World 1, mm. like... Oh, yeah. Wayne and Garth get backstage passes to meet him, and they're just like, oh, we're not worthy. And then uh, Alice Cooper's just, like, weirdly knowledgeable about, like, the Milwaukee area. And he's like, it actually comes from the Indian term, Milwaukee. And just the way he just delivers it so straight is just uh, really funny to me. It's a good one. Milwaukee has had many visitors. I'm hardly the first. <laughs> I think, uh, now, that, now that you actually say it, though, one of my dad's favorites is uh, they... they when the con- when the U.S. Congress was having some like scare tactic thing, and they were uh, they they called in the members of the band from Queen, and like whatever two of or three of them have like Oxford degrees, so it's this guy just in this like absolute huge hairdo, but in this like perfect suit, just speaking so eloquently about like freedom of speech and stuff. And it's, I don't know, that's also a fun one. Uh, yeah, D-, D. Snyder of Twisted Sister did a similar thing during the. Uh, I- I'm sure that's probably what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, P. P. M. R. C. Here whatever the acronym is, the, the, the parental advisory hearings. All right, speaking of boring hearings, let's <laughs> dive into this movie, this action-packed movie. Yep, so released in uh, 1973, still in the Nixon era, the last movie, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Um, I'll just get it out of the way. This The budget was slashed yet again for this movie to the lowest possible levels, reported to be around $1.4 million. And the director, Jay Lee Thompson, who returns actually from Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, said that, yeah, this is like the breaking point. It's like we could not make a movie for less money than this. I don't, I, in some ways, I couldn't tell. Only in the fact that like that they, they used practical weapons, which I'm sure were cheaper because they could just get them out of a store, but they were a thousand times better. 
than like the weird fake guns that they kept using. Like the idea that they were just like holding like M6 or not M16s, uh, eight, like uh, rocket launchers, World War II era weapons, and just like beautiful metal weapons in the the hands of these humans in their weird little dumb hats, which were perfectly evocative of their future like the future from the second movie yeah god i love this movie it was like the perfect culmination of like finally the the cinematography is good enough that everything is kind of engaging that like when they're in a close-up they're like gently panning forward to keep you engaged with the shot the acting of caesar isn't phenomenal um the acting of the kids okay uh the antagonist is like such like is so over the top just like me ape you bad like that i i kind of loved it um, yeah, I really like this movie. And the, oh, the villain. That man was chewing the scenery with, with such subtle little bites. Just, no, 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 no. Oh, Chris, Chris is getting into it. I've seen, finally seen some passion behind his eyes. <laughs> um, five episodes in. But I, I, we can talk about the quality of the movie, but getting back to the budget, I think it kind of shows a little in that they were only able to afford one school bus for their epic battle. <laughs> but the, but they, got, they got a cannon. They got a, like a gun cannon ship that looked, looked really cool. And the effects of that, to be fair, they only fired it once. But, like, the effects of that one shot I thought were pretty cool. Solid. But, yeah, he was talking about in the movie, like, there's multiple mm -hmm. shots of, like, uh, one of the tree houses, like, exploding. It's literally, they only exploded one tree house, but they shot it from, from 20 angles. different angles. There you go. <laughs> so they could reuse it. That's smart. Uh, yep, and uh, so originally Paul Dean was going to come back and uh, write the screenplay again, but mm -hmm. his take was a much more darker thing where... A Caesar becomes like a Caesar type, like a despotic ruler. And um, after the way things shook out with Conquest and the ending having to be changed, they were like, yeah, I think we need to go in sort of a lighter direction. So the screenwriting was actually handed off to a uh, husband and wife screenwriting team who actually had to marathon all four of the movies in one sitting, and then they <laughs> wrote the up. script. Yeah, the old days. You know, they had to set up the reels on the projector. You, and, you can uh, really tell they marathoned it because they were marinating in like all four movies that like the the bad guys look like the sec the the future version of the second guys and that they are the the early I was a little scared when it was the initial cutaway of like the ape talking about ape law but then I thought that was amazing yeah th I think this is definitely the most continuity heavy of the five movies because they reference everything using every part of that buffalo um and so you know as a result they they went in a more you know lighter direction more family friendly i think they wanted um this film like they their pitch was like that the apes live in the garden of eden and there's like in a paradise in a utopia more family friendly but there's uh there's some dark moments in this movie that will uh we'll are, are, you, are you discussing the death of a child yes yes <laughs> The, the intimate moment between a father and son right before his death in which that ape, Caesar, the ape crying in that mask. Like, I don't know. I just never before have I like seen the pain and anguish of the death of a child in a, in a father's face be like quite visceral through the ape mask, which is like insane. I don't know. It's, it's really good. Mike, you're being awfully quiet. What, what do you what did you think about the movie? I, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I think that you guys are right. That's very continuity heavy. And I think it weaves together the different kind of threads well. And I think it ends the series well. And we'll, we'll talk about the ending a bit more later, assuming that I've interpreted it correctly. Um, but you could also, I think, tell they were also a little bit out of ideas when it came to set pieces. Not that the battle, like the last kind of battle scene was bad, just that it felt like... It felt a little kind of inserted, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, well, and, I guess we need a huge action scene here. Hey, we'll put it right there. 
Yeah, and even even I would say it even felt a little small for like, you know, this is supposed to be for the fate of planet Earth, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we're dealing with like. It's just a battle, Mike. Keep well, that in mind. Just a battle. I guess so. Especially compared to the last movie, where they have like a thousand extras running through the streets at each other in this like huge brawl. Like this does seem small scale. Yeah, but I I, I, I generally enjoyed it. But I, I think that's what where the at least the conceit of the movie is very smart. That like okay, we we have a smaller an even smaller budget. Instead of having the same scale and making everything look cheaper, let's just bring everything down to size. That like this is one band of ape, apes and uh, secondary humans against one band of uh, future uh, future psychic humans. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a sort of microcosm of the near future yeah it, it it did make me want somebody to make uh you know how there was star wars battlefront like i wanted planet of the apes battlefront yes so yes you'd play as either the apes or the mutants like i think that'd be that'd be fun um, you'd have to like corral the humans that'd be like one of the things oh, yeah yeah mike has selected the character abe <laughs> <laughs> i said that mike said this to mike before we recorded that i for some reason i thought he was he should have been cast to play the character Abe just because he reminded me of him a bit like with his hair and the fact that he's like a teacher having to deal with this <laughs> giant ape general struck me as like really funny. So, 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 hey, hey, he, he probably wouldn't use the slur, the N-word. Yeah, I, I, I have had to say no to some some kids in the past, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I'm 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 honored that that I was uh, that, that I reminded you of a a learned man who is so beloved by by the apes that they they go to bat for him even though he does say the forbidden word truly I, and i i thought that was an amazing opening to just like immediately okay immediately you know the general is a shithead like that he's strong and a shithead and like he'll go to school but he won't be in school and he does not respect caesar um and that like uh the there's only there's a couple humans in this society but not that many and that like i guess they're not that like I guess maybe he was just under pressure. Like, why does he not know the, the forbidden word? Uh, but maybe he just like it let it slip off the tongue, just because that was he has lived in that world. Where He's having he a heated gamer him. moment. <laughs> there you go. Um, but him, him fleeing from the gorillas, I really liked as like a perfect little action, semi-action set piece that also shows you all the different the village and stuff. I thought that was pretty. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the village and like where we're at. So like. Look, I mean, we can talk in that Shyamalan movies, but I feel like it's a little out of the way. <laughs> the apes live in the most expensive and luxurious of movie locations, the uh, California wilderness. <laughs> a place where, where no other movie is filmed. <laughs> and um, what, did, what, did you, what did you guys... And also, like, how things have changed since the last movie is um, apes can talk now. All of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, do do you guys know how long it's been since the last movie? Well, I sixty I, years did they say? No, <laughs> like the, Caesar's son's only about ten, I'd say. What's wait? Okay, but let's. But that, was Caesar's son born at the end of the last film, or was he pregnant? No, with her? was that true? Yeah, yeah. So we, we there could have been like a gap of a few years before they had. Yeah, but kids. sixty. We, <laughs> i guess you're right because he he would have been so i guess caesar would have been 10 or 10 15 caesar's like son cornelius is i, no, so, I don't know at it's the tough end to of the final at the end of the uh fourth they film. say at the end of the last they say in that movie that caesar is 18 
Okay, so they, they, they very that... clearly state that it's 1973 in Escape and 1991 in Conquest. Yeah. This, so I, yeah. we start with a flash forward in the 2600s, mm-hmm. and then we just flash back, and we don't know mm-hmm. how long it's been. I, I, I'm going to say Caesar's like 45. Uh, it's like 30 or so years. That sounds about right. So they, they are they are kind of fucky with it. Like the, uh, the, the black human guy says like, my my ancestors spoke of the fires. He's like, what? What are you talking? It's not about? his ancestors; his brother. <laughs> I like look. He says the phrase "ancestors" or something like that. Like my forefather, my forefathers spoke of the fires. Like, where where is this line coming from? I, I think that's an exception. Like his ancestors, the cavemen. <laughs> look, I maybe maybe that makes more sense now. Actually, because no, because you're talking about because he knows where the tapes are because of his. Was that his brother? That was yes, the yeah. underling of the the black guy from the last one. McDonald's brother, McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's brother, Burger King. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, it was yes. I have questions about how exactly all these apes all of a sudden develop speech. In look, you got you got to remember at the end of the last film, he says no, so they can all talk to him. I know, and then Lisa says no as well. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have questions about... Explain this to me, Darwin. <laughs> um. I, I, I kind of wish... Uh, what, what I was really hoping for, and I, I think this is one of the few criticisms I have in the movie, of like the... They didn't really bring in the military aspects and like the, the difference between the Caesar and the uh, apes versus the gorillas. I really wish the gorillas did sign language. I think that would be really cool. Like that uh, if they all like spoke to each other and then like that rather than it just being like the military guys just some shithead anti-intellectual that was like there was like a genuine culture clash between the two groups i thought that would have been cool yeah i i was also a little confused because it seemed like a very lush environment for a world that had just undergone a civilization destroying nuclear war it, it yeah it, it seems like they only dropped one bomb or like a couple bombs like rather than all the bombs but like i don't know when they launch the nukes are they gonna launch all of them that's the thing. It's like the, the the idea that we only launch one nuke is a little weird. But then again, that's only true. We only really have that idea because of the Cold War. Like if if we fire nukes at Russia, Russia will fire them all at us, and we're all dead. But like if 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 the humans' idea was just we're gonna kill all the apes in that city, maybe they only just one, or maybe they only send one. Maybe. But are isn't the implication that the nuclear war had nothing to do with the apes, and it was? Uh, yeah, the apes yeah. form their own society. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I the mean, nuclear war happens. Yeah, they say that the nuclear war happens sometime before, you know, before Cornelius Caesar's son was born. So there, that happened. They're just like, oh, a nuclear war happened. And yeah, okay. I mean, I I, before, before I can buy I can buy that they wouldn't launch nukes at like a lush California forest because um, there's why, no real strategic the advantage apes? to that. They're just they're just apes. Especially but when the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Apparently, this forest is within hiking distance of a nuke <laughs> of a nuked city. Look, so. that's a little weird. That maybe maybe it's like a Hiroshima situation where they're, they're like in a bowl or something. Maybe. It's five days away. Hey, maybe, <laughs> maybe this is why the apes can talk so well now. They got, they got <laughs> that nuclear radiation. Touche. In terms of like this is a utopia, do you guys buy it? Do you feel like all the humans there are like happy to be there. Cause that was like, I was, I was like enjoying the character of Abe. Cause in like on some level, he's just like a prisoner there forced to like what? teach apes English. Thing. I thought, I thought it was perfectly encapsulated. What, what's the black character's name? McDonald. McDonald. Sorry. Sorry. That, um, 
like that he he talks to caesar's like hey we're second class citizens like give us full rights and like caesar sort of comes back at him with like well you must come and trust us like all that kind of stuff and then then they they turn those second class citizens into no class citizens i don't know i thought that was really well done like they are living in this world and they do treat them as family but they treat them like their children rather than as like equals i thought i thought that was that was a well done little scene i also enjoyed that i thought it was yeah this sort of like it, it is it is a civilization striving towards utopia but but one that obviously has not gone there yet and uh you know these these kinds of factions of like the military versus you know the government uh establishment and and having these these trying to sort of like to integrate not only the different kinds of apes with the other apes but also apes and humans together um you know i it, it i thought it was just like generally an interesting kind of dynamic so yeah i didn't buy it as utopian but i also i don't i'm not entirely sure i was meant to either I, idyllic yeah no, there's not there's issues but like it's it's a good place to live it's, it's the place you choose rather than living in a, in a hat in the radiation filled uh chambers of the bottom of the other city it's um, california yeah. and there are no cars around it seems pretty nice <laughs> <laughs> the uh but, but i think going back to the that is the type of scene where it feels like the last movies kind of dropped the ball like that like they just didn't quite nail those scenes every now and then they'd really they'd really nail it but like it just like wasn't quite there in terms of basically all of those scenes give you an idea of the community set you up for the story to a certain extent and uh the political aspects of the world but also give you a picture into whoever's talking like and letting you know about their background and stuff i thought it was really good especially like how Caesar talks like it's just like weird like intellectual sort of like uh, philosopher king who is like has the beliefs he has the right to rule and no matter what and uh, I don't know I thought it was really good let's let's take this opportunity to just run through our cast and give our opinions and how we think they did as actors so let's start with the the man himself the man who's carried this franchise on his back on his silver back um <laughs> Mr. Roddy McDowell it's that he he played Caesar in this movie and the the, he's the played Cornelius Oscar. and the character of Caesar in four of the five movies. So he's I, the, um, I mean, he's technically an archive footage in number two. So he's like the one constant thread in all five of these movies. I think him as Cornelius was always very solid. I think him as Caesar is amazing. Like, uh, especially that speech at the end of the last movie. Ooh. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I enjoy, you know, you would think that if it's the same guy in what kind of seems like is the same ape suit. Um, it, it might be hard to distinguish the two characters, but, you know, I, I think he does kind of... There's there's a bit more of an edge to Caesar, right? Mm -hmm. There's a bit more of a guile. There's a bit more of a... Uh, a little more of a realpolitik going on with him, whereas Cornelius is kind of a man of science. Um, a bit more of his mom in that. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think he's great. He's, 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 he's the... I would say probably the best performer in all of these movies. Movies. That's a highly I think I'd have to agree with you, but there's some contention. Uh, Claude Akins. Any Bonanza fans listening? Claude Akins is uh, in this movie. He plays Aldo, the general gorilla character. Any opinions on him? I think they, they give him a caricature of a character to work with, and he makes it nearly into something real. Like, uh, like it's, it's just such an over-the-top character that it would be hard. It would be very easy to sort of slip into it. But, like, I don't know. I, I believe... Even every now and then, if he's saying something truly wild, like he keeps it really consistent. Yeah, he plays a good muscle-bound oaf. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what I was gonna say. Is that I like him because he is kind of, 
he's like a copy of General Ursus from number two, but like they give him the fact that he's dumb, so that adds some kind of layers to it. So at least it's like different. It's not especially outstanding. Um, Chris, any big thoughts on Natalie Trundy, who's struggled along in these movies as the the lead female actor in the in many parts? She actually gets like a big speaking role, I guess, as Lisa. She- Caesar's oh, did you wife. play the mom, or is this is this the nurse character? Natalie Trundy plays Caesar's wife, Lisa, who she mm-hmm. she also played Lisa in Conquest of the Planet Apes. She was also the female uh, telepath mutant in number two, and she was also the female scientist in number three. So she she's been along yeah. the ride for these I, movies. I, I'd probably go for her roles. This is probably her best because she's given the most to work with. She was amazing in two, like that little scene of her, like the the telepath. I really like that scene a lot. She did what she could with three, but there wasn't much to work with. Um, and then four, what was she in four? She was also Lisa, a gorilla who couldn't talk until the very end. Her no in four, very good. And they, in this movie, I I think they, uh, because they give every now and then he, Caesar seeks counsel with his wife or like his wife, like sort of uh, critiques him. And I think, I think she does a good job of it. So it it doesn't quite hit as much as I would have liked. Did, uh, did, uh, any guys agree with me that Paul Williams kind of stole the show in this movie? What do you guys think of Mr. Paul Williams? I uh, Virgil. I, I enjoyed his work in this movie. I enjoyed how he was kind of like a know-it-all who was just kind of like muttering to people about like relativity or whatever. Um, that's, that's Paul Williams? It is Paul Williams. He's an amazing actor. That was like a great... Yeah, yeah. I totally have to agree. That was like such a good classic like intellectual like because so many of them are like caesar or his dad were like they're like real politic guys but like no he's just like i'm vibing i'm talking like oh, the, the 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 thing about the guy who plays a recording and then goes in the future in time and doesn't like it and goes back to like not record it i thought he delivered that line exceptionally well yeah paul williams is great and he's like the first real orangutan character we've had since uh maurice evans is dr zayas bit the bullet number two mike any you're a music guy do you have anything to say about paul williams i am not familiar at all with, with well i shouldn't say not at all uh, I, I don't i don't have very strong opinions about paul williams but i enjoyed his performance in this movie um and that's pretty much all i have to say about that and yeah i don't know his, his like status as like a musician has always confused me because i could not tell you a like paul williams song but it looks like he was written he wrote he, he wrote Rainbow Connection. What what, yeah. what else do you? Think? I, I was gonna say he wrote a lot of the music for the first Muppet movie. Yeah, which he's also who, in. He plays the piano player at the El Slizo Cafe. Mm-hmm. Who 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 wrote who? You've got a friend in me. I'm definitely can, Randy. I'm Randy conflating Nailing. the two. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm mixing my guys. And, and I, um, I was definitely confusing him for a second with Paul Rogers, who is the lead singer of Free and later Queen plus Paul Rogers. Yeah, Paul Williams is an interesting, because uh, he also has acted a lot. He's also mm-hmm. in, uh, he's like one of the leads in Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise as uh, the guy who like tortures the Phantom to keep making music. And I don't know if you guys remember Dexter's Laboratory from back in the day, but Paul Williams was in a memorable episode of that, playing a, sort of himself. I think that's where I originally know him from. Yeah, what, 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 he played himself? He, yeah, he sort of like played, a, is like clearly himself, and he was drawn like as short as Dexter, and he like visits <laughs> and they see the lab and they like make music using like the lab equipment and stuff. Uh, yeah, so Paul Williams kind of steals the show. He was uh, one of the big uh, Planet of the Apes, an OG fan, and purportedly he was one of the 
few people who was actually excited to do this movie and just didn't look at it as a last paycheck before <laughs> the studio runs out of money for this. I know, but the, the, you can kind of tell the studio, this is one of the few beauties of this era, is that like, okay, this thing's going to make money, hand it two-thirds of its budget back, and then don't look at it ever again. Because like the script is, is quite solid, except for the end. We can talk about the end. Um, uh, the like the shots, like the the way they're shooting it. Like, do you do you guys remember the scene where they're running through the bowels of the earth in the like uh, in the bombed, the bombed out, out city. city? Yeah, and they're just going past, and then these people just start appearing out of the side of the frame. Like, oh, that was such a good. It's so well shot. Yeah, no, that my opinion is like, um, I remember watching this movie and like not really liking it that much when I first watched it, and it kind of has the reputation of being like this black sheep of the series but i actually like really like appreciated a lot of this movie upon revisiting it um a lot of it is pretty good i would say uh and i mike i guess you liked it a lot too i i mean a lot like i enjoyed it like i you know i it's not as good as the first one or as conquest of the planet of the apes um but it's it's a nice it's it's an entertaining way to spend an hour and a half like i can't like, could is it the greatest movie I've ever seen? Far from it. Is it like mm. bad? No. It's 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 a it's a fun watch. I enjoyed it. Is it better than Ted Turner's Gettysburg? Is the real question. <laughs> you know, Betraying a battle. What a, what a lie. <laughs> I've never seen it. I had no idea Ted Turner had anything to do with that. The, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking the wrong Gettysburg. That no, there's like a Ted Turner produced like there's a four hour movie of Gettysburg where it's like a faithful recreation of the battle and Jeff Daniels is in it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard that one pretty good. And then then like he then goes on to make all the other Civil War movies that are like all pro rah rah South cold stuff. Yeah, God yeah. Gods and Generals is the other one, right? Correct. Yeah, that one's that one's uh, that covers uh, much more of the history bullshit. of the war, but it's also very. <laughs> In which, in which it was just a bunch of southern gentlemen trying to protect their, trying to protect their peoples. And one, one scene in particular I really appreciated revisiting it is, is um, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but Lou Ayers as Mandemus, who's like the armorer of uh, Caesar and the apes, where he's just like, he lives in this hut, I guess, just yeah, protecting yeah. all the guns. It felt yeah. to me, it's like, um, I feel like John Wick has stolen like the whole concept of this scene, where it's like you have the... Uh, uh, what's the word when you have the um the, sum, the uh, gun sommelier the sommelier yes yeah. who has, who's in charge of the guns that i was getting some of those vibes uh watching this scene where you just like i see won't where you're coming from but like as long as you have a coin that guy will give you that guy will give you a gun i love the idea of like hey we have the gun but you have to give you have to convince me philosophically intellectually and like morally that you need you need as many guns as you ask for like even even like the down to the scene of like okay they they Caesar is at the door and this guy's like no no you gotta you gotta talk to me you gotta like tell me what's happening and then even once they get in that they're then like oh we'd like guns to protect against the humans and we'd like like two guns to be able to shoot the rabbit like you only need one gun to shoot a rabbit here's one gun like <laughs> I don't know I thought that was incredible very well done I think it's a great system I think we should implement it in all the schools across the country <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing. <laughs> um, the, the idea of a, a room, a gun room in a school in the United States should be uh, more of a joke. But it's... Uh, <laughs> anyway. 
It will probably be legislated in Florida next week. <laughs> Just go, shut down all the art classes. Use those rooms to store all the guns. What's so crazy about that? That can be the range. That? that can be the gun range. I'll like put sand in the back. Yeah, so I like the character of Mandy in this. And the actor, Lou Ayers, was like super old when he did this. Because yeah. he was born in 1908. I was going to say, he wasn't he like the lead or one of the leads in like the original All Quiet on the Western Front? <laughs> Which came out in 1930. <laughs> Truly, what a wildlife to have led. Like, like, just like, as like being on that set, and like, the, you're you're talking to another guy in an ape costume, and you just kind of don't realize it, and like, he just like casually starts talking about like, well, I was on the set of All Quiet on the Western Front, like X Y Z. Like, oh, what are you talking? about? Yeah, I'm trying to find what number Academy Awards that won Best Picture at. That'd be like the third or fourth. Yes, it was literally the third Academy Awards, ever. <laughs> wow. Um, we just had, I think, the 95th? Yeah, 95th. Yeah, so... First one was for films in 1927, 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in this cast, a little down the line, the lawgiver from the beginning, and we'll get to the ending, played by John Huston, the famous actor-director. And then, apparently, uh, playing a character named Jake's friend is uh, the controversial John Landis. Director of Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London... Uh, what's what what's he controversial did he like diddle someone what's happening so they were filming twilight zone the movie and his segment they were filming a, a scene like a vietnamish inspired scene with the actor vic morrow and two like vietnamese i believe children and like something went wrong with the helicopter and it crashed and they all died yes that'll do it anyways the, uh, we're getting a bit I, i'm 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 no I, well let me i i have a decent segue i'm as soon as you said that he was the director of the Blues Brothers, I back his play. I don't quite know why. I love that movie. Mike, you brought up John Huston playing the lawgiver. What did we think? We finally get to see the lawgiver in the flesh, and he's played by John Huston. No less. Did you guys have any thoughts or opinions on that? It felt like kind of a weird way to begin the movie, but it made sense when it ended. So I'll expand more on that when we talk about the ending. That is interesting. I think I have the almost exact opposite opinion of like, oh, what a good way to catch everyone up. And then the end was like, he's acting really well, but yeah, we can get to the ending. Maybe, is this time for the ending? Unless we got we have more actors to run through. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, this movie's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. They, they go to the city to get mm-hmm. the archives for some reason so that they can listen to the recording of Cornelius so, Cesira. Yeah, well, that Caesar can see his see and hear his parents voice for the first time how cool is that like i don't know i thought that was amazing like not only to hear the future but like see like that like caesar is both this like intellectual of like well if we could know the future maybe we should but also like i want to i want to hear this as an or what uh, as every orphan wants to hear their parents voice i don't know chris i don't know if emotions have any place in movies i am a <laughs> disciple of the twitter film discourse where movies are all about <laughs> plot 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 and it's all about logic, really, and story structure, and intellectual pursuits, man. Understanding exactly why characters do things at all times. But anyways, they they go to the the city with the non mutant mutants, and then a battle starts because the humans are so bloodthirsty <laughs> that they want to retake the world back from the apes. And then the battle happens. Did you guys like the battle? The battle, which battle? The, the, battle, the battle for the, the planet city. of the apes. <laughs> the the wait, wait, one... you mean the skirmish for the planet of the apes or the battle for the planet? Were there two battles? Well, <laughs> the like skir- the skirmish in the city, like the, the them firing, them throwing grenades. Do you guys remember the grenades? That was a. Great I remember city. there was a school bus. <laughs> I I so I enjoyed 
Well, first of all, I enjoyed how, like, the head of the mutants is just, like, bored. <laughs> like, it's... Just, what, uh, such good throw-off lines of, like, it's been, there's been 60 years of peace. Yeah, you're right, it has been boring. Like, he should, definitely should have been smoking a cigarette. Like, so, ugh. Yeah, and I also, I also love, too, when, when the uh, McDonald and the apes first escape, mm-hmm. how uh, <laughs> the head of the mutants, like, he's like, how, he's like, he's like, what happened? And then the guy just goes, they were fast! <laughs> Um, and then, then he gets over the intercom. He's like, they've got past you. Shoot to kill. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Not fucking around this guy. I love it. So I, or, originally, um, so this this is the character called, played by Severn Darden, who was in the last movie. We didn't really talk about him as much. He was like the governor's right-hand man who's in charge of torturing Caesar, who's now like the oh. quote-unquote governor. Um, oh. Like, I, I definitely thought like this was like a, oh, was this just like a character they made up? Like, I have to go back and watch that movie because, like, I, I'm so curious how good an actor this guy is. So he was the one doing the torturing. Okay. Yeah, he, like, tortured Caesar. We also didn't talk about that all that much, where they torture Caesar to death in the movie. <laughs> but originally, it was supposed to be Governor Breck returning. So I don't know how you guys God. feel. Don Marie passed for whatever reason. <laughs> and they said, I'm the so glad he did. This guy, man, was the perfect villain. I'm just like, he's only in charge because he what is like the last one left basically like obviously the governor probably died or something where he killed the governor maybe and like but he's just so conniving and like cold-blooded and intelligent that like he's just keeping it all together and keeping everyone in line like oh so good yeah i i, I thought he was fun yeah i think bringing the governor back would be two on the nose two on the nose like i think like an interesting like a more dynamic is like could you bring the governor back as like a prisoner of caesar or as Ooh. like an as like a, a kind of begrudging citizen of his, his it's like his... a governor skin rug and caesar's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly you know, yeah. i i, I kind of love that actually because that's like that then gives uh the gorilla guy like actually more fuel for the fire because like there's always an a human in their society that like is actively trying to undermine the apes i kind of like that a lot exactly the idea of the governor being in caesar's village yeah yeah and they're like trying to like condition him to to treat apes as equals but like he's unwilling I don't know. The big words here are family friendly, kid friendly. So I think <laughs> Look, they, having the governor made, and torturing they, him the whole movie, I don't think that would have. You don't have to torture him, but like, I, to, like uh, to to put him down a little. Because um, they they murder a child in this film. They um, what else do they do? Like they they have like like gentle would, racial hierarchy. Like they talk about like a, a bunch of like interesting and like complex issues even within this framework. I don't know. I think it's a good job. You're right, Chris. They did. And as a result, America was fixed. (laughs) My hat's off to this movie. Um, One one ape film at a time. So uh, when you were saying the battle and the skirmish, you're saying like the battle with the explosions, and then you're talking about the confrontation between Aldo and Caesar after? Is that what you meant by the skirmish? No, no. I I mean, when when they go into the city and they trip the sensor wires, and then they just, they send everyone after them with like, that they're holding like... uh, m4s and like just shooting into the into the hallway and then they have to like run away and i thought that chasing was incredible like that they're like the camera's panning and like they're moving with the actors really well in a way that like is propelling everything forward and then there's just that gentle silent scene where uh mcdonald looks over at caesar and they both lock eyes hold grenades and then throw them into the next room i that was incredible scene i like that a lot and then, then after that is the scene I really love where, like, they're running through the under halls and, like, the people are just, like, appearing out of nothingness. I, I thought that was really good. 
I think I know what Chris is going to watch on Memorial Day this year. <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> we could at, at the end. I, I that that uh, and this this might have been the good icebreaker. I didn't think about it. like how are we ranking these five films as they're like as like their own unit? And then we sort of Mike already did a little bit, but to do that formally at the end might not be a bad idea. Okay. Well, do you want to skip to the ending? Did you want to talk about Caesar versus Aldo? We, we should talk about that. Well, so first we should talk about how. Caesar and uh, his his party are out trying to find uh, these archives. You also have Aldo, you know, planning his coup d'etat. Cornelius kind of, while chasing after his pet squirrel, he um, he stumbles upon their their campfire meeting. Uh, to, to which uh, Aldo then cuts him down from the tree. Yes, and then uh, at, at just wanting to get a hold of him, I think, and that of course he falls from the tree and is, is badly damaged. So that all of the other gorillas just leave him there and that uh, leave him for his uh his mother to find like presumably like the next morning yeah so he he's on his deathbed for like the back half of the movie mm-hmm. um eventually but 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 it's kind of like a reichstag fire situation because mm-hmm. um aldo uses this uh, like he basically blames the humans for what happened so he uses this as an excuse to round to corral all the humans in the village and eventually try to execute them eventually i I think you're remembering a slightly better movie because i wanted that to be true like i really wanted him to like use this as fodder but it just seems like oh no he was just playing up in the tree looking for the squirrel um and that what what the aldo actually uses is um the scouts the the human scouts and like the first inklings of that to really start the thing i wish they would have been like humans did this to him look at look at our children and basically what happens is they corral them once they're done fighting the mutants and they they mm-hmm. run away you have you know what's his name cornelius is dead then you have this confrontation between aldo and caesar and you have the chanting of ape has killed ape killed ape. Ape. ape has killed ape. Killed ape ape has killed ape and that uh that, that which uh, they set up in the movie earlier by saying ape does not kill ape right yes well and that, and that even that they they have like a solid like like a uh, two minute scene where mcdonald investigates what happened and like looks at the branch and like takes down the branch and then there's this perfect little shot of him holding the branch and seeing like the axe marks and i thought oh perfect like this would have in the old films this would have been like a five minute like dialogue heavy scene where they reiterate everything we already know and versus just boom 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 he knows what happens he tells uh the uh, intellectual ape the intellectual ape tells ape boom very quick, very quickly done. That chant. Do you, did you guys like the chanting of "Ape killed ape"? I thought that was amazing. I don't know. It was like it was like weirdly visceral. And it was like "Ape has killed ape, ape has killed ape." And they cut over to McDonald in the pen, and like, what is what's happening? It's like they're entering humanity. They're like they've found like like yeah that they've joined the human race. That was it. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good line. That's a good line. Oh, did this, did this uh, the the married couple that wrote this film? Did they written anything else? Have they written anything else? Um, they wrote the Omega Man with um, Charlton Heston, right? Charlton Heston is in that. Yep, he is, and and it's it's the, the Omega Man is basically, I Am Legend is more or less a remake. Well, they're based on the same source material. I Am Legend gotcha, and gotcha. the Omega Man. Oh, and they wrote one of my favorite mystery science theater films, The Killer Bees. Where <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to see a proper British film about killer bees, I would recommend that. Oh, Boxcar the killer, Bertha. The killer bees. Oh, they wrote Boxcar Bertha. That was uh, Martin Scorsese's second ever movie. Yeah, Sammy Fable, Martin Scorsese. And then they wrote some TV, like General Hospital. 
the show <laughs> Texas, which I assume was meant to compete with Dallas <laughs> in a bigger way. Yeah, so not exactly perfect track record. Um, but it, it worked for this movie, I guess. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, as someone who came into this franchise from watching Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, there's definitely a lot of origin moments here where it's like ape does not kill ape even though that's sort of been established i think in other films before this and the whole confrontation between aldo and caesar sort of reflects on the confrontation between koba and caesar in that mm-hmm. movie um which i found very interesting as someone yeah, who's a fan of that movie you, you can you can see the beginnings of it of like oh well this is the beginning of the religion like they need more than just laws they need religion yeah. to like make this stick this, this yeah. is what matt reeves watched and then ripped off in a bigger budgeted way <laughs> yeah i know yeah i definitely had that thought as like when we first saw the village because like oh like they have these villages in dawn and then sprinkled in a little bit in war for the planet of the apes too where they're like what if there was a instead of battle what if there was a war <laughs> it's like a battle but bigger so um do you guys want to just dive into the ending warts and all what happens with aldo and then Mike, after that you, yeah you i hear a lot summary of in your thoughts analytical thoughts about the ending are gonna come up maybe <laughs> sure so basically what happens is we there's uh aldo and caesar like fight basically caesar chases aldo up a tree and then uh, uh aldo tries to knife caesar yeah which he then pushes him out of the tree and he he has like the biggest fall from a tree i've ever seen that like you can tell immediately, like, what a weird fall, but also I know he's dead because he fell so hard. But, like, I don't know. It's a weird It's a weird ending. Yeah. I, 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 guess it, I guess it's trying to be family-friendly so you can't do what should be done, which is Caesar gets the knife and absolutely just, like, eviscerates Aldo <laughs> through, this like, the spine. Like, Bisects just, him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or at least, like, like like because, uh, whatever. Because Aldo has that killer line of, like, uh, oh, no, no, no. The, the oh, we, we skipped over one of the greatest lines, which is, uh, when uh, the bad guy is holding the uh, the, the 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 Colt forty five, not the Colt forty five, the uh, revolver to at Caesar is like, I heard how you got your name. I heard all these things. Like, but every Caesar needs his Brutus as a goal. That's a good mm. line. Like, I thought I thought they were gonna cap Caesar right there. That was such a killer line. I knew it kind of wasn't cap. No capping for Caesar today. <laughs> um, but Caesar wins ultimately, and he yes. decides to continue his policy campaign of. We must integrate with the humans. Mm-hmm. And then they, um, uh, co- cohesive, conducive society. Mm-hmm. Integrated. Yeah, so th- this movie ends with, well, first of all, Mandamus being like, I know I live here, but please blow up the armory. And then being like, now nah, we'll probably need these weapons later. Um, sorry. sorry, bud. We, we still gotta, we, yeah. so, like, we, in an ideal world, but this is yeah. very, very, very Cold War mindset. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but the last scene is the lawgiver, you know, sort of continuing his story that he begins in the first scene, and then it the we we the, the we see who he's speaking to, and it's a bunch of uh, ape children and human children kind of living harmoniously, and then we get a close up of the statue of Caesar, which sheds a tear. I don't know. It does because <laughs> well, the law the lawgiver like says a line that's like I think mostly optimistic, but like a little cynical. I, I, and that like he then sheds a tear for that but i agree that was the, the tear was a little out of place it should have been like i don't is is the ending optimistic or not like because i i like part of me wants to say okay that this is an alternate reality in which caesar's wishes were fulfilled and they lived in harmony together but the other part of me says like oh so did, did they break the time cycle 
or like is is it just that the lawgiver was a good society and then eventually it is corrupted later i was gonna uh, say i assume it's the first one that because cornelius and zira go uh back in time back in time and then uh caesar is born mm-hmm. and then it, it they're they able because the, the whole thing is that like oh if we find these like archival recordings we'll know mm-hmm. how things turn out and i assume that they use kind of what they learn to avoid the kind of like bitter ape versus man conflict that we see in the first two movies um, I don't know. I, I I think you're you're very optimistic, Mike. That um, the whole point of the Oracle at Delphi within Greek mythology is you do know the future, but you just misinterpret it and you misunderstand what's going to happen. So I guess in that way, it's not perfect because it they get the right answer. It's oh the the apes are the problem. It should have been like some like weird spin of like oh that the humans will go to war with us, and that that should have been like used as fuel by the gorillas to set off the war. Um, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just peace and, and good hearts. But so I, I wanted so badly the cycle, the full cycle to exist, because like then it then it feels like a tone piece together. Like in the same way, the last movie, you, you uh, Lewis, you so we're talking about during the last movie that like there was going to be this cynical, like brutal ending, but then they pulled back from it. Like this one was almost there of like Caesar going one way, then Caesar going the other, but like it should have been like the death of his son is like this catalyst in which he's like, no, there must be rules, there must be law. We, like apes, uh, apes and humans may live together, but there must be structure. Like that, that should have like turned him, or um, like you should have seen the beginnings of that process happening. It's it's a happier ending. I, I like, and it's it's a pretty solid twist on like, hey, they they changed the they changed the future. They made it a little better. It, it worked this time. Yeah, I think it the ending kind of fits in mm-hmm. sort of like this apes fashion where it's like deliberately ambiguous as like what's happening is it happy is it sad yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's they, the abe has it or caesar has a statue but it's weeping yeah. i do i do i do agree with you chris but uh, i i do think it kind of is it does bring everything sort of full circle where you can just go into the first one again you can start it can. all over That's again crazy. wonder what's happening because mm-hmm. it's not it's because they're, uh, they're not saying if they, if they, you're right. If they were truly going to not retcon, but like be like, oh, the the future has been changed, they would go to that period. But they don't go to that period. They go to the period of the lawgiver, which is like whatever a, a thousand years before the time of the first movie. So it could it could all still be the same, but it also could be a happy ending, whichever way you want to do. I, I like the ending more now. Thank you. I like sort of realized that, but I had not fully approved. Um. Yeah. So that that's the ending with a single tear. The statue of Caesar brings the uh, series to a close. That statue is actually at the uh, Roddy McDowell Memorial Gardens, um, oh. somewhere in California. I, so, someone tweeted a picture of it the other day. Um, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." I didn't realize he had his own memorial garden. Yeah, well, he you died. Make five films. They'll give you a memorial garden, California. It's just like this dumpy little statue. <laughs> it's it look. It's probably out back of some weird lot, and like it. It probably makes three sound guys really happy. Like there's just like a good place to go out and go smoke. So there you go. It it's making me think now of that whole like Garden of Evil thing that uh, the the uh, the like ben, like the, that guy who gave all the money to Clarence Thomas is just revealed has in his house. <laughs> right. But instead of like you know uh, Hitler and Lenin and Stalin and Mao, it's Roddy McDowell. It's just ape paraphernalia. It's Roddy McDowell, Charlton Heston, Lisa Trundy, and um, Natalie Trundy. Natalie Trundy, excuse me, uh, Kim Hunter. It's just I think that would be a better timeline, right? Yeah. John Roberts revealed he was a big Planet of the Apes fan, and he was like, <laughs> "How how cool! That would be that would be really Ape wild." Does not kill okay. ape. 
tape. <laughs> Try so I could shrine that deep into the law. Yeah, so that's the series. So Chris, uh, do you want to do you want to do a ranking of the films? Do you want to do best, best and worst? Do you want to rank all five? I I think I'd like to go all five, and that's gonna be a little hard. I might have to run through them. God, I, this this feels. I swear I'm not trying to be contrarian. It might be five. I, this this movie I just perfectly vibed with. To be fair, maybe I'm in the right headspace for it. But like, it's five or one. One being the original. Oh, the original. The original only for the final scene. Like that final scene is so incredible that I'll have to give it to one, uh, and that they set up the world and the rest of this won't exist. But it's five, and then a close second uh, one, then a close second five, then four, three, two, and that two, three, and two are a little. I don't know which way to go with that. But like two, two, despite two, feels like the most. Like it definitely should have been a Twilight Zone episode. Like, it would have been fun, and, like, there was, like, such scale, but, like, the it doesn't actually function that well together. And that I, I like it a little bit more because 5 is so good. So that's that's it for me. I, um, so I actually, chronic Letterboxd user, I actually mm-hmm. have been ranking these movies. I've been watching oh. them. Uh-huh. Um, so right now I've listed uh, the first one, Planet of the Apes, is number one. Uh, Conquest is number two. Escape is number three, because I think it's the funniest one. This one I have as number four. Again, like, I just think it, 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 I enjoyed it. I don't think it did anything, like, above and beyond Wars. I think, like, the, the, at least the, the Conquest and, like, the original, I think, do. And, like, Escape, I think, is just a little more, it just, like, it, I don't know, made me laugh. And then, uh, okay. five, uh, the, uh, uh, pulling up in the last spot, I have Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I guess on mine, I, I'm going to put uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes as number one. I'm going to champion that film. I really think it's really great. Like my said, it's really funny, but I also think it's really, really smart, well handled. I mean, it is like the one yeah. film where it's like they took the budget limitation and they just, boom, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's just insane. You have to follow up. The whole planet is exploding with something, and it's uh, really great. How, what are we going to do with this? I, 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 We have the space. Just, just say they got in one of the time travel spaceships. We'll just say that happened. Okay. Okay. It would even been even better if they just don't explain it. <laughs> They're just there. Just a just a just appear on Earth like oh that's that 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 would be some lost shit right there. I do I do think it's like the perfect example of like it combines Planet of the Apes the first one in terms of like being heady in science fiction and just like sort of like the fun of this movie maybe mm-hmm. um, that fair. sort of blend. Uh, number two, I'd probably have the original. It's a great movie. What I what I really like about it, looking back on it now, is like it truly feels like a nightmare. Like, it's like imagine being in that situation it's like crazy um and how that film uh emphasizes like the hysteria that must have been going on at that time um mm-hmm. and maybe in some ways still is today um number three you know it's a toss-up really between conquest which i do think is a very cool movie but mm-hmm. having now seen the theatrical cut i do feel in some ways it might be compromised by the ending yeah and it might and sort of a tie for three between conquest and battle which I do think is a much more enjoyable than the first time I watch it, but it's sort of like kind of calorie-less in yeah. the way you might watch a movie like uh, Green Book, say, where it's like a, a fun <laughs> time. How, I don't know. how dare you? How dare you compare this to Green Book? This, this, this is a, a subtle portrayal of a weird and strange like uh, happenings. It's not a, a man playing an Italian throwing fried chicken to a, a black man in the backseat. Uh, to which I will retort, oh! <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. And I mean, the... that that is what Viggo Mortensen does for two hours in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And hey, he got him an hey, Oscar hey, hey. nomination. So. He's at least cool with the gays. He is a good actor. I mean, no, he does... look, he's, look, Viggo Mortensen plays that part to a T, but he was served a 
a Italian stereotype. I, I, I was gonna say, as an Italian American, I I have. Well, and like the other I side of it is, it's that, like that guy kind of was it, the it, most like 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 a a that human man who was the front door man for that place was kind of like that. It seems like, but like. You made a choice to put a movie about this man. Like I don't know. I we're getting we're veering way off track here. All I will sorry, say sorry. is that Red it's the closest man. I've ever come to being offended by an Italian American. Gotcha, portrayal. gotcha. At least yeah, partially yeah. because there's a scene where he literally is shoving an entire sorry, pizza sorry. down his throat. Um, it, but it's the same scene where it's like he's looking at a picture of his life and then he like looks down at his old pizza. Yeah. <laughs> with him. Oh, I just watched the movie. Um, <laughs> it was good. Um, but it's like The Sopranos does the same thing, Mike. Anyways, we're getting off topic. Um, and then number five, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Like I said, I really, like when I first watched it, I remember loving like the second half of that movie when it just goes crazy. But rewatching it now, I found it incredibly disappointing like both halves this time so i'm gonna i'm mm-hmm. gonna place it last i i do feel bad placing that one last because especially the the first telepath scene i think is incredible like when they're all like yelling and he's like freaking out i thought they were gonna like totally mess that scene up but it was like really surreal and delightful it it you know it does something different by introducing the mutants mm-hmm. the, the idea of the bomb um mm-hmm. stuff that'll be carried over throughout the franchise um I think it, it does suffer from doing the oh it was Earth all along scene again, like the like him and like it suffers the, from uh, doing all of that again. I, I guess, but like some recapping of it, the whole movie. I, I think it does an okay job of recapping the rest of it because like that they they have him talking to the other apes and like they it tells you a lot about his character and some about theirs and like they get to know each other pretty quickly. But I agree, even that is a little like they're trying to they have to move through a problem rather than like have an interesting idea. I, I just want to see, like, the live audience reaction to the ending of that movie back in 1970. And if it's just, like, they just leave and they're like, oh, <laughs> they're zombies. <laughs> Golden nukes, I guess. <laughs> well, the whole planet blew up. Um, right. So, anyways, that's that's our ranking. Tell me to come over the third. <laughs> I hate to be that writer. So, that's the our rankings of the original five. I, I do think we sort of rank them along similar lines of um, we know which ones are good and which ones are you know who you are <laughs> so yeah that's it i guess next time we'll be talking we'll be jumping ahead into the 21st century um some of our favorite centuries to tim burton's planet of the apes the remake and it should be exciting i have never seen it i don't think my co-hosts have seen it nope oh i've i've that, is that's the one where marky mark is a scientist right Oh yeah, they were like, "Who should we get yeah. to play a scientist?" Mark, I've, I've seen that shit. This this will be this will be an interesting one. All right, I guess Chris will be leading the um, high-minded discussion of the Tim Burton's <laughs> Planet of the Apes movie. If anyone has any questions or warnings for us, please send them to contact at thepostwriter.com. Um, we that's our email address. Mike looks over the email the one time a month we get one. Uh, Mike, what do you have to plug? You can find my writing on the Post Rider. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mlovito and Letterboxd at Ameramike. And you can also find my writing on the writing. Um, I just got that. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, what, what do you want to plug today? I guess I should uh, congratulate you because you're the new editor of, um, yes, what finally. is it, Cooking and Lifestyle at the Post Rider? Of course, of course. Yes. The, uh, the, the uh, editor of. Uh, movie and tv taking from uh, over from the esteemed uh, uh mike levito um uh that i should have a new piece up soon i swear finally um uh but I, yeah, i've got some writing up there 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Twitter and uh, Instagram at, at MochoBro. Yeah, and I'm on uh, Twitter, the slowly dying website owned by a crazy millionaire, um, at the Lewis Ryan. And I've been saying this for every podcast we've done that I'm on Letterboxd at the Lewis mm-hmm. Ryan, but my actual mm-hmm. Letterboxd username is just Lewis Ryan, <laughs> which is weird. I feel doxxed. Yeah, so I, I review movies there, I guess. Not really in-depth or very informative at all. Uh, but, you know, if you want to follow me, every chance you get, you can follow me there. So this was great, guys. Thank you for doing this. Do you guys feel... Uh, how do you, In one word, how would you say, after watching all five of these 70s-flavored Planet of the Apes movies, if you, if you can sum it all into one word, what would you guys say? You're both educated, college-educated. I'm sure you'll come up with something great. I'm going to build this up just as much as I can. Mike, go. Enriched. Chris? I, I'd have to go too pleasantly surprised. Like, I, I just don't have a good, like, uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was really interesting. What about you? Vintage. You Vintage. It has kind of, like, and I... I, I do I do wonder how much of this is subconscious or intentional, but like it has all of a sudden sparked me watching a lot of seventies movies and seventies related content. There you go. Um, you, you're getting like, the getting the wheels greased that direction. Yeah, like I watched Clute for the first time. Great oh. movie. And I'm also watching The Deuce, which was not made in the seventies, but it's about the seventies. Good show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Deuce, baby. Oh. I was just so glad to have the guy from the wire do anything because like his his ability to like just like sit with a character in a way that like no one else kind of does like that's why you know we should have turned out when he did green book <laughs> yeah so i guess that's it everybody tune in next time where we'll be diving into the next apes movie so see you then Postwriter is primarily self-funded by its owners, and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects, and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content, pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to thepostwriter.com donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do.